You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And we're back on Money Talk, and we'd like to welcome to the show Michelle Lamb, Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. Bonjour, Michelle. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great for having you on the show. Uh, Chi Lo, Senior Market Strategist, uh, APAC at BNP Paribas Asset Management, is joining us as well. Good morning, Chi Lo. Morning. How are you? We're doing fine. You know, the thunder and lightning doesn't get me down at all. I'm, uh, That's I'm, all right. I'm quite okay with it. Um, I think we're going to be talking a lot of uh, a lot of China today, uh, and I'm just wondering. You know, uh, there's a lot of numbers that have been coming out lately. Uh, Chilo, maybe kick off with you. What numbers have you been looking at most closely in recent? Economic I try data? to look through all those numbers because the numbers have been bitten to death by the market. Everybody talks about that. Everybody knows that the this uh, so-called post-COVID recovery is sort of fading in momentum and so on. So that's all in the market. Uh, what I try to look at is look through the numbers and, and, and try to understand what's behind them. And I, when I looked at a few indicators um, that described um, you know, the problem in the economy and the, uh, the, the policy stance and so on, I, I'm not surprised by the fading momentum. And I think um, you know, the market should be preparing for more policy easing down the road. Now, let me elaborate uh, quickly on that. The two indicators that I looked at uh, for the problem of the economy is um, the PBOC survey on uh, households' willingness to spend, and the flip side of that is willingness to, to save. Now, these two indicators recently only show that there's a bottoming out of the declining trend of people's willingness to, willingness to spend uh, and the topping out of people's intention to save, which means that the confidence uh, of the consumer and also the public sector in the economy is still very weak. Uh, before they turn around, I don't think um, any you know, macro policy like monetary easing will help much uh, to uh, boost spending because uh, basically what that means is China is stuck in a liquidity trap kind of situation. Then if you turn to the policy side, uh, a few indicators I looked at is the, you know, the popular China credit impulse, and I also looked at the real policy rate, which I use um, the uh, repo rate minus uh, core CPI, and also the net injection by the PBOC through all its lending facilities, including including the MLF, FLO, SLF, and so on. Now, when you look through these indicators, they do show that the policy stance is still easing, but then there is no conviction, no uh, uh, a clear trend that these indicators are showing lots of liquidity come back to the system, which means that the policy stance of the PBOC is very cautious. Uh, I understand that. I, you know, I agree that. I agree with that. But I think probably it is not the time to be that cautious. So my conclusion is that with confidence not coming back yet uh, and the economic momentum for recovery is fading, is slowing down, uh, unless there's something down the road that popped up the economy. Otherwise, mm. I believe the Chinese authorities will have to get into more aggressive eating. Okay, well, Sheila, I hope that's not your only uh, conclusion. I mean, we got another 10 minutes of uh, you on the show. But, uh, Michelle, what do you think? Do, do you buy this this big picture that Chilo is selling uh, about about maybe a lack of commitment to providing liquidity to the market? What, what are you thinking? Um, I think that is the market's concern. Um, and actually, the similar indicator that I've been also paying attention to is the household deposits. 
And if you look at the household deposits as a percentage of GDP, actually in the first quarter, it's just continued to keep rising. Um, and then another also helpful indicator is the household savings rates, as you can find from the first quarter uh, house, household survey reports, uh, also in, uh, is released together with the GDP reports. Actually, the excess uh, savings rate, I think, has come down compared to the fourth quarter last year, but it is still, I think, around three percentage point above the 2019 first quarter level. So it tells you that um, the people are still pretty cautious about spending their savings uh, and supports the consumption in the economy. So I think this is really the, 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 the main reason that uh, is still driving, uh, driving down a lot of the momentum. The, and uh, so the lack of domestic demand is still the, 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 the top, top concern for the policymakers. Right. Okay, so I mean, if there was, if there's, if so you're worried about excessive savings in household, but I mean, if there was excessive debt, we'd have a problem. Do you, do you kind of have a Goldilocks, uh, you know, kind of the perfect place where there's not too much debt and not too much savings? Um, at the same time, for sure, the household debts as a percentage of GDP or percentage of income are actually stabilizing. But um, we've, talk, we've been talking about uh, how consumption rebalancing is very important for the economy. So I think this adjustment has probably gone too far. Gone too far in the direction of savings? Yes. Okay, and what do you, and I mean, uh, I mean, Chilo doesn't see a lot of uh, policy direction towards you know maybe stimulating the economy. Are, are you aligned with that as well? Do you see something the government could be doing to get people to get out there and spend more? Yeah, I think down the road the uh, policymakers need to do more. And actually, after the the, the bad data that's released last week, we've now uh, changed the call for the policy forecast. We now expect more policy rate cuts and our our cuts from the PBOC. But the concern I have is even with uh, the PBOC stimulus, could the confidence actually return in a very quick manner that could support a sustained recovery in the second half of the year? And uh, uh, and it seems to me that it is still the uh, there's still a big question mark. And on the fiscal policy side, I think there's more room for the government to do more. But based on what we learned from the March MPC and also the April Politburo meeting, I think the stance from the government is still rather conservative. It seems that they're still trying to uh, buy more time to see how the normalization uh, is uh, is going on. And uh, probably, I think, uh, down the road uh, when we have the, 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 the Politburo meeting in the July, maybe we will see a change of stance of the policymakers to uh, begin with more easing to support the economy. Yeah, Chilo, are, are, you, uh, are you aligned with that story on interest rates? Uh, I think the, the market uh, has priced in very cautious interest rate cuts, one, maybe at most two. And the interest rate cuts predicted by the market are only, you know, one of those three, three or four interest rates that, you know, we have to follow, the LPR, the MLF, and so on. I, I'm, I'm looking at the picture that's out of consensus, which is not priced in the market. I could be wrong, but also I could be right. This story, my story is that, as I mentioned earlier, because there's not enough policy stimulus to turn confidence around, uh, and if the economic momentum continues to fade, I think Beijing will be pushed toward, towards the corner that they have to eat these more aggressively, meaning not just cutting one or two interest rates, but cut all the interest rates that is rele relevant to liquidity at the same time, including the triple R, including the LPL, the MLF, the FLF, and all those things. They have to do it all together to get the message out um, uh, very strongly that the government is behind growth. 
So far, we haven't seen that done. And, and this is our consensus. This is not price in the market. Mm. But if as and when that happens, I think that would be a very great surprise for Chinese stocks that would be a very powerful rally uh, under that scenario. Hmm. Uh, you know, Michelle, in a recent report, you said that, uh, you know, it sounded like you were talking about almost a, a mental cultural state. You talked about a deleveraging mindset and a more permanent loss of animal spirits. Is that just for the consumer market or does it extend into the corporate world? Are bosses in that way of thinking, too, that their companies should be reducing debt? And do you think they've lost their animal spirits in the corporate world? I think it's really the referring to the scarring impact from the pandemic over the last three years that there has been a lot of uh, uncertainty and uh, there also the damage to the balance sheets. And it just needs time for the people's confidence to come back and uh, for the government to throw out more support uh, for the private sector uh, to uh, provide more policy and stability uh, for them to be able to uh, conduct business going forward. I do think that if you look at the fixed asset investment data last week, um, there seems to be a lot losing momentum in the manufacturing investment and uh, and also the industrial powers are still the tank in the very deep negative territory, and, th- and I think these are also not very supportive for the uh, for the business confidence for now. And I mean, if the Chinese if the Chinese economy is not perking up the way it's it was kind of expected to at this point, um, Chinese manufacturers and exporters they're not really looking to pick it up on the American side, are they? Because everybody's talking about a recession on the other side of the pond. I think what's interesting right now is that if you look at the export data for China, it's actually not doing so badly. In, in the April, actually, it's still expanding the 8% year-on-year. Of course, there is a low base effect. But actually, even in the first quarter, there has been a pretty strong rebound uh, unwinding from the COVID shock in the fourth quarter. Um, so I think that just highlights that actually domestic demand is really a top concern. And I think going forward, yes, of course, uh, the second half, is uh, it, we're definitely looking for or soft external demand. Um, but I think there's also quite some uncertainty in the market as to when the U.S. Uh, recession is coming, whether we will have a soft landing or a hard landing. And at the same time, we are also seeing uh, some structural drivers in that supporting Chinese exports, uh, such as uh, more exports to the Asian economies and also very strong export in NEVs and renewable energy products that could also provide some resilience to China's exports. Gotcha. Chilo, you're you're an Asia Pacific guy. What's your uh, what's your take on this export story to Southeast Asia, and, and whether it's specific countries or specific products that China's exporting? Take your pick. Well, I I agree that the export outlook for China is not good uh, for the simple fact that the developed market is slowing down, and the developed market as a whole is still the key export destination for Chinese exports. Uh, I think the 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 reason why uh, Chinese exports have uh, have done better than expected so far. Uh, and it may likely uh, do better than expected uh, going forward, even though on a declining trend. It's because there has been a structural change in the global supply chain within the region here that, you know, that will help, that has and will continue to help Chinese exports. Now, this uh, supply chain change is, is, is that over the past 10 years or so, there has been um, uh, an increasing amount of Chinese exports going down to Asia, especially ASEAN. Supplying, supplying the Asian region with inputs uh, which the region uses to produce exports and, and sell to third markets. Now, this is a kind of, a, I call it a reverse supply chain because in a conventional supply chain, 
uh, Asia supplies inputs to China, China produces and sells to the world. And now China is also selling inputs to Asia, and Asia uses these inputs to make exports and sell to the world. So as long as the developed, developed world is still buying uh, from Asia, and actually, you know, China, um, uh, U.S. and Europe are buying more from Asia than from China because of the trade war and, uh, and things like that. So that means, you know, switching out of uh, Chinese imports into Asian imports doesn't really hurt Chinese exports that much mm. from the, you know, the, the regional perspective. Right. So as long as there's demand for Asian exports to the developed world, maybe the demand is slower because of the slowdown in developed markets, that is still going to hurt, uh, they can help Chinese exports. And I, I think that's a key reason, in, in my view, that the Chinese export picture may not be as bad as, most people think, uh, even though I, I, I agree that the, the export growth in China in the second half of this year going to next year is going to be slowed down. Okay, Michelle, I'm going to give you the last word. You've got 20 seconds. What are you going to be watching and writing about this week? 20 seconds, go. Um, I will be watching, the, um, well, there seems to be some the news headlines about the local government financing vehicle situation in China. And mm-hmm. I think that still there's something that uh, concerns onshore investors, especially those investing in private credits. So that's something that I'm going to look into. All right. Well, good. Well, we'll keep an eye out for you as well, uh, Michelle Lam, Greater China Economist at Societe Generale, Corporate and Investment Banking, and Chilo, Senior Market Strategist, APAC at BNP Paribas Asset Management with our French 